0: Amen. Amen, good morning. Well, it's good to be back with you once again, and I'm excited to continue our series here on Ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church. Pretty good. Um, So today we're gonna be talking from Romans chapter 16 and really diving into this idea of the dependent church. That is the people of God are not meant to live in isolation, but rather we're to depend on the Lord and we're to depend on one another. So let me pray and then we'll dive in together this morning. Father, we thank you that as we have just sung Lord, that your Holy Spirit is powerful and he is ready, willing, and able to help your people. And so we ask this morning, what we've just sung, that you would draw near to us by your spirit that you would show us Jesus from your word. Lord, exalt the name of Christ today. In his name we pray, amen. So I wanna start here with maybe a little object lesson to help us get a point across. So Tyler Zimmerman, come on down. I'm gonna ask Tyler to come help me. So give Tyler a round of applause. Very good, very good. So... Tyler, as you know, is one of our staff members. And um, at Gospel Hope, you have to be super sharp to be on our staff. I mean, brilliant, brilliant people. So I'm going to ask Tyler to do something incredibly difficult right now. Tyler, can you sit on that stool? Yes, that one. Okay. I know nothing. It's yes, that's it. He did it, folks. It's amazing. I know, I know. Now, you notice Tyler's just kind of sitting there in the air, he's got the stool, it's helping him. He's right there in the middle of the stage. Now I'm gonna ask Tyler to do something a little bit more challenging. Tyler, if you could stand up, and if I take the stool away, Tyler, can you do the same thing? Can you sit right there in the air, no stool? Ready, set, go. It's not gonna work, right? Right? Because you, you needed that. Unless, of course, I said, okay, Tyler, I want you to sit right there in the air, but I'm going to help you with it. So we could do something like this. Tyler and I could go back to back, could link arms like this, and then we could go down, 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 down. And here we are. No stool, but we are sitting there. Please clap for us, please. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Give Tyler a round of applause. Okay. Why do I do that? Well, I wanna illustrate a simple reality, and it's simply this. There are some things that you cannot do on your own. There's no way Tyler could just kind of perch himself in the air without some assistance, without another individual to provide him leverage so that he could sit there. And the reality is, this is throughout the Bible. From the very opening pages of scripture, God makes it very clear that human beings were never meant to live in isolation. They were never meant to go it alone because living life in God's world, in one sense, takes other people. You are dependent, as it were. We read that on the very first pages in scripture. Look with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, when God creates Adam, he records a rather interesting detail. Here's what it says. The Lord God took man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Now notice this. And the Lord God, what's the word? What's it say? And the Lord God, what? And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree of the garden etc so this passage obviously records the creation of adam but do you notice what happened the moment that god creates adam the next thing is he does he speaks to adam and in a very real way we could say god gives adam instructions He's makes us saying like adam hey you're new to planet earth and the only way you're going to be able to navigate humanity, navigate life, is if you hear instructions from me. Any game players here? Okay. I, this was the same in the, in the first service. It was like, um, yes. I, I'm not like saying like any axe murderers here. That's not what I'm asking. It's like, does anybody play games? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. All right. So when you get a new board game or card game and you open it up, you take it out of the box, you lay all these like strange pieces or boards or cards and you start looking at them and the question you immediately ask is this, how do you you play it? And in order to understand how to play it, you have to take out this little thing called the instructions. There is no way you can know how to play a completely unfamiliar game without having the instructions. And in the same way, God is saying, Adam, welcome to planet earth. You are a human being. And the only way you're gonna know how to play the game of life as it were, is if I give you the what? Instructions. And that's exactly what God is doing for Adam. From the very beginning of the creation of man, uh, human beings have been dependent on God. Adam was dependent on God to learn how to navigate God's life. Or if I could say it this way, to navigate God's world, we must hear God's voice. Put it very simply, we need God, right? The only way you or I or anyone else can make sense of this place is by depending on God. We need to hear from him. But Genesis 2 makes it clear that God, God created human beings not just dependent on him, but actually dependent on one another. Look at what it says in verse number 18 of Genesis chapter two. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be, what's it say? Alone. Alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. So not only did Adam need God, he also needed Eve. In a sense, Adam could not flourish in alone. There was something deficient in him apart from other human beings on the planet. He needed other humans to bear the image of God the way he was intended. The reality is this human beings, listen to the statement, are dependent by design. Human beings are dependent by design. I want to press into that just a little bit. Sometimes we believe the fact that we are needy, that we need other people, that we need God, reveals our brokenness. That there's something wrong with us because we need others or we need the Lord. But can I offer a different position? I would argue that your neediness is actually not a sign of your brokenness, but it's a sign of your humanity. You were created by God to be dependent on him and dependent on other people. A car that needs fuel is not damaged, it's a car. A lamp that needs electricity is not malfunctioning, it's a lamp. A dog that needs food is not high maintenance, although your dog may be high maintenance. But a dog that needs food is not essentially high maintenance, it's a dog. And a human who needs relationships with others is not broken, it's a human. We were made by God in one sense to be needy, to be dependent on him or others. You were created for community with the Lord and with one another. That's not something wrong with you, that's something human about you. Unsurprisingly, then, if this is God's design for humanity, we shouldn't be shocked that we see the same idea in the church. The church is never intended by God to be a collection of super-Christians all changing the world independently of one another. Rather, the church is to be a group of people who are deeply dependent on God and deeply dependent on one another— working together to see God's purposes and mission fulfilled in the world in a very real sense. If you walked in this morning, it is a declaration, I need some other people. I need the Lord and I need some other people. That's what the church is. It is a gathering of dependent people simply acknowledging the fact that we're not meant to go it alone, which leads me to my point this morning, we must live independently. Or I'm sorry, that's the completely opposite of what I'm saying. <laughs> Scratch that. We must live dependently. This is illustrated in our passage today. Now, at face value, if you've read Romans 16, it may look like just a list of difficult names to say. But that's not what Romans 16 fundamentally is. As you read through this passage, you become aware that in it is embedded this idea that God's people are dependent on one another and dependent on the Lord himself. And I want to explore those two big concepts this morning by looking at two reasons for dependence. Two reasons for dependence, if you're taking notes. The first reason is this. We need the differences of God's people. Passage begins with Paul introducing Phoebe, uh, who most likely carried the letter to the Roman church that would become known as the Book of Romans. She was most likely the the deliverer as it were. And she's referred to a servant in the church of Centuria. She was probably a deacon in this other church who was kind of the envoy of the apostle Paul to take the letter to the Romans, to the Roman church. We read this at the beginning of Romans 16. "'I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centria? So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever manner she may require you. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and also of me, uh, and of me also. So Paul introduces Phoebe and the letter. And after he introduces her, he rolls out a virtual laundry list of no less than two dozen names. So if you're looking there in Romans 16, it's just name after name after name after name. What is interesting about this list of names is its diversity. It includes men like Amphilitus and Urbanus and women like Prisca, Mary, and Nereus. It includes Gentiles like Apelles and Aristobulus. That's the hardest one. It's like one too many syllables there. His parents didn't like him very much. And Jews like Junia and Herodian. It includes those who have names from the pagan pantheon. Look at those names. Olympias, Narcissus, and Hermit. How would you like to be named Narcissus, by the way? Didn't age well, right? And those who we believe from the other passages of Scripture have godly parents like Timothy and Rufus. It includes married couples and singles, the young, the old, and entire household. What is more, all of these people have different experiences. Just in this passage, look at the descriptors that God gives of these people. Some people are described as Paul's co-workers, his friends, his secretary, his fellow prisoners, and his fellow countrymen. They're described as hosts of churches, benefactors, the first convert in Asia, those who risk their lives, those who worked hard for the church, those who are noteworthy among the apostles, the city treasure. Well, what's the point of this? I think it is simply this. When you read through this list of all these diverse people from all kinds of different backgrounds and walks of life, we are meant to walk away and say, man, the church takes all kinds. The church is for all kinds of people. Whoever would trust in the work of Jesus, there is no prerequisite. Hear this statement very plainly. There is no prerequisite for faith in Christ. Do you know that? you don't have to grow up in the church You don't have to be religious. You don't have to come from a religious family. You don't have to be born in a certain place. You don't have have to have a particular shade of skin or bank account size. All you have to do is acknowledge you need God and the door is open to you. I think that's what Romans 16 is is saying here that here's all these people, all kinds of different walks of life, all kinds of demographics. And yet through the work of Christ, they are all invited into the church and into God's mission in the world. The church is for all kinds of people. I love the way the old hymn puts it. Come you sinners, poor and needy. Have you ever heard this one before? There's a line in it that I think is super powerful. And it says this, let not conscience make you linger nor of fitness fondly dream. In other words, don't like dream of being fit to come to Jesus. Don't like dream of being enough to come to Jesus. Because the next line says this, all the fitness he requires is to feel your need for him. You know who can be a member of the body of Christ? You know who can be part of the church? It is those who simply acknowledge their neediness before God. That is who the church is for. So if you come limping in here this morning, if you say, I'm not the right type of person, I don't have the right type of pedigree, welcome in, the water's fine. You're exactly in the right place because the only people who can join the church of Jesus Christ are the people who realize that they're not worthy to join the church of Jesus Christ. It is only the people who say that I come with empty hands and open heart before the Lord. It is through him and him alone I am made qualified. You don't need a resume. You need to bring your rap sheet and God will make it clean by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. That's who the church is for. You see, the diversity of God's people is actually a demonstration of the immensity of God's grace. Diversity in and of itself is powerful. You know, there are lots of causes in the world that can unite people that are seemingly all the same. Like it's not that difficult to bring together a monolithic group of people people who think like you or vote like you or act like you or look like you or share blood with you. People can gather those groups all the time, but the church is a different animal. In other words, God desires that his gospel be for anyone and everyone, and the church demonstrates through its diversity the immensity of God's grace. My desire is that people would walk into gospel hope and be like, man, there's a person like me, and man, that person is not like me. Oh, and that person over there is like me in a slightly different way. And that person over there is, is unlike me in a slightly different way. And you just start walking down the aisles and say, like, unlike, like, unlike, what is going on here? And the idea is this, man, anybody can come here. This place, you don't have to have some sort of prerequisite or resume. All you need to do is acknowledge your need for the Savior and you belong. This is in the DNA of Gospel Hope Church. What we say here is we wanna display the reconciling hope of the gospel. In, any way. in other words, no matter who you are or what your walk of life is or your background or experience, if you trust in the work of Christ, you can be made right with God and right with one another. In fact, it's even in our logo. Have you ever noticed this before? I don't know if you know this. So that's the little O in gospel hope church. And you notice something about this O, it's made up of all kinds of different pieces and shapes and colors and sizes. And yet, although all of those things are different, what is it? They're unified for one purpose. They're making a letter. Well, that's to illustrate that is our desire at Gospel Hope Church, to display the reconciling hope of the gospel. The gospel is not a niche message. It is a message for anyone and everyone who would ever dare to declare their need for the Savior. But here's the other thing the differences of God's people, we need them not just because it's a powerful display of God's grace that anybody can trust in Jesus, but we need the differences of God's people because the mission that God has called us to is too big for just one of us or one type of us. What do I mean by that? Well, look at Paul's analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be if the whole body were an ear where would the sense of smell be so paul's kind of giving you this like ridiculous analogy like picture a human body and it's just a giant eye how effective would that person eye person be i don't know what you would call that not very right because one it would only have one function it would only be able to see and two like it would die Because an eye, independent from the rest of the body, it can't sustain itself. Nowhere a nose, I think that's even worse. Like, given my choice of sight or smell, I'm I'm going sight every time, right? But Paul's idea is this like, you, you can't live independently. And then he drives the point home a little bit more to kind of say, listen, all of us are important, but none of us are independent. All of us are needed, but none of us are sufficient. Or if I could say it this way, every member of the church is both incomplete and indispensable. You're incomplete by yourself. You can't fulfill the mission of God on your own nor can people that are just like you fulfill the mission of God. You're incomplete in that way. And yet you are absolutely indispensable. Though none of us can do it alone, we are all needed to do it together. Listen, how many of you this morning got up thinking about your gallbladder? Anyone? No, no one. And yet, and yet, if your gallbladder stopped working, would you be aware of it? Absolutely. Now, a gallbladder is not like going to win any organ popularity task. And yet it is crucial to the function of the body. If you saw just like kind of a gallbladder laying up here on stage, you'd be like, what kind of church is this? Right? That's gross. But a gallbladder in and of itself, is it gross? No, it's not gross. You need it in one sense. And so here's the idea. We all have a role to play. The mission of God is only attainable when we all work together, when we all do our part. We can't just have a bunch of eyeballs. We gotta have eyeballs and gallbladders and fingernails and livers and all of the things that maybe you don't even see. We all have a part to play in the mission of God. Man, my dad... My dad was a basketball coach and I had the privilege in high school of playing for my dad for four years. And one thing that my dad loved, he loved to play like fast pace. Now this was like before sabermetrics or any of that, he kind of figured something out. So he wanted us to play really, really fast, which meant he insisted on us relying on your teammates. So I was a point guard and when the other team shot the ball, It was not my job to go get the rebound. That was not my job. What was I supposed to do? I was supposed to check out my man, make sure he didn't get the ball. And then I was supposed to run over to the side and let these guys get the rebound and wait for the ball to come to me. So I wasn't supposed to go to that. I was trust them to do their job. And then I was to run over here and do my job. You know what our other guard's job was? His job was not to get the rebound either. His job was not to wait over there. He was supposed to check out his man. And then you know what he did? He just put his head down and started running down the floor. And so, because we, he just insisted everybody do your job, he had numbers for us. You're number one. You're number two. You're three. And it was like if you don't do your number one job, you don't do number two. You had to do your job. And when we would do it, sometimes we'd go on like 10, 12, zero runs on the other t- and just like blast them, because they weren't prepared for the pace and everybody relying on one another. That's just a silly game of basketball. It's stupid. It doesn't matter like a little ball going through a hoop. God has invited us into the greatest mission in the world, and He has a role to, for all of us to play. We need to embrace that role that He has given us fully, and we can't do it by ourselves. We got to rely on our brothers and sisters to do the job that God has called them to play. Look, you may never stand up here on the stage and preach a sermon. You may never sing a song and lead the congregation in public worship. You may never be a deacon or an elder or whatever. You may never have any formal leadership responsibilities, and yet your role matters. Your role is important, and the mission of God can only be carried out as all of us execute our roles. Listen, diversity is powerful. It's powerful, but it's also practical. Like it shows the depth and breadth of the grace of God and we love it, but we don't want diversity in the church for just optics, guys. Do you understand what I mean by that? We don't want a diverse church so people walk in and are like, oh, look at this cool church with diverse people in here. That's wonderful if people are like, man, look at all these people who are saved from different walks of life, who are different. That's wonderful, but that's not the point. It's powerful, but it's also practical. You know why? Because if we're gonna reach a diverse place like Atlanta, we need diverse people sitting in the pews. We need to all leverage our backgrounds, our experience, our gifts to see the mission of God go forward. Diversity is not meant to be cute. It's meant to be mission critical. If our neighborhood looks like this, then our church must also look like this. If we're going to reach the city that God has placed us in, diversity is not just something that's a cool talking point. It is critical to the mission of God. All of us leveraging our gifts and backgrounds and experiences and relationships to see it going forward. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's Paul talking about the function of the body. And sometimes we miss this. He says, The whole body grows and builds itself up in love when the pastors preach great sermons. Right? The whole body grows and builds itself up in love when the worship team is awesome. Right? No. The whole body grows and builds itself up in love. Look at what it says when each part does its work, when gallbladders are working right. That seems silly or gross, and I hope that sticks in your mind because it's silly and gross, but we all need to do our part. We are dependent on each other and we actually should treasure the differences among one another. I don't just mean differences in the color of our skin or the texture of our hair or the generation. I mean the differences in the way that God has wired us and gifted us. All of this is a beautiful part of God's diversity and he brings us all together so that we can fulfill his mission in the world. We need the differences of one another. Number two, the other reason for dependence is simply this, we need God. We need the presence of God's power. So as Paul wraps up his list of greetings, And he concludes the whole letter. He ends with a benediction. A benediction is basically just kind of like an aspirational prayer. So Paul's wrapping up this whole book and he says, this is my desire for you, Roman believers. Romans 16, verse number 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. Now notice this phrase right here. Hone in on this. According to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among the Gentiles to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever. Did you catch that phrase there I highlighted? Paul is saying, I'm praying that you fulfill... (coughs) that you fulfill the mission of God to take the gospel to all the Gentiles. I'm praying this for you. This is my desire for the church at Rome, that you would advance the mission of God to all the Gentiles. Can we just say what's obvious? That's a tall order. He's essentially saying, hey, Romans, your job is the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. I want you to take the gospel to all the Gentiles. (laughs) And Paul really earnestly desired himself to be a part of this. I wanna take a little aside here and you'll see where I'm going in just a moment. When you read through um, Acts and the rest of the New Testament, one thing becomes common about the apostle Paul's burden. He wants to make disciples of all nations, but there was a particular place that he wanted to get. If you read the story of the New Testament, Paul particularly wanted to get to Rome. And you understand why. I mean, seat of culture and power in the world. And Paul saw Rome as like the last frontier, the final frontier of Christianity. I got to get the gospel there. So in Acts chapter 19, we read Paul's burden and desire. He says this, look up at the screen if you would. After these events... Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to go to Rome. So he's saying, it is necessary for me to get there. Then you get to the book of Romans itself and and Paul expresses this desire to the Roman believers. Remember, he's he's not been there. So he says this, uh, Romans chapter 15, I believe. It says this, I have strongly desired for many years to come to you, to come to Rome. So Paul's saying, this is my aspiration. I got to get to Rome. Well, why was Paul so burdened about this particular city? Romans 15 verse 20 tells us explicitly. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. All right, so think about that for a moment. Paul is basically saying, I got to get to Rome. I got to get to Rome because it is needy and I want to preach the gospel in kind of a unprecedented, unreached area with the gospel. Got to get to Rome. Got to get there. Got to get there. Got to get there. However, when Paul does get to Rome, there's a little bit of a plot twist. What happens? Look at what it says here. Romans. Romans chapter uh i'm sorry acts chapter 28 and so we came to rome he made it and so we came to rome and now the what's it say brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the appius as far as the forum of appius and the three taverns okay 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 did you catch that Paul's like, got to get to Rome, got to get to Rome, got to plant a church in Rome, great desire. And he gets to Rome and who shows up? The brothers, they're already there. Got to get to Rome. Whoa, hey, church at Rome, what's happening? So how does that happen? How does something like that happen? No apostolic envoy, you know, the greatest missionary of all time has not been there. He's desiring to get there. And yet when he gets there, there's already believers. There's already a movement of the gospel happening in this city that seems to be blatantly opposed to the gospel. How on earth does that happen without Paul? Romans 16. Now, look at the screen, don't miss this. Now to him who is, what's it say? Woo. Now to him who is, say it again. He is able to strengthen you. How did the church get to Rome before Paul? Because God is able. Paul was not able to get there, but God was able to get there. The gospel traveled the 2,500 miles from Jerusalem to Rome with no planes, no trains, no automobiles, and no Apostle Paul. Why? Because God is able to strengthen his people to fulfill the mission that he has called them to. God didn't need Paul, and God doesn't need us. We need him. However, in God's great grace, even though he didn't need us, even though he didn't need Paul, God invites us into participation in his mission by the empowerment of his Holy Spirit because God is able. He's able to take folks like us and propel the mission forward. We probably never heard of 90% of those names listed in Romans. And yet God empowered these formerly nameless people to take the gospel where it wasn't and it flourished. You ever had a flat tire? How many of you had a flat tire before? It's an awful experience, right? You're driving down the road and all of a sudden, oh, and you get out of the car and universally in cars now, They come equipped with this interesting piece of technology that you need to fix your tire, and it is called a jack. It's an amazing thing, really, when you stop and think about it. Because in and of your own strength, if you had a flat tire, there would be no way possible for you to kind of lift up that car. You you would not have the strength. And yet this little thing in your trunk, you take it out, and if you have an engineering degree, you can figure it out if not you like bust every knuckle on your hand and, and, and it's somewhat easy actually once you figure out the motion you know you got to hold your tongue a certain way and you start lifting up several hundred pounds with very little effort You are able to do what you could not do because you are empowered by the jack. Do you see where I'm going here? In a very real sense, that is a picture of the Holy Spirit's work through the lives of his believers. Look, we cannot fulfill the mission of God. We do not have the strength to do so. And yet God says, I will empower you. I am able to strengthen you to do what you could not do in your own strength. And so through the Holy Spirit's power, by our effort, our effort that doesn't match the output, that's what a jack does, right? We put in a little bit of effort, we get a lot of lift. And in the same way, when we put in a little bit of effort, we get a lot of lift because it's not us lifting the thing, it is the Holy Spirit working in and through us to empower us to lift the unliftable. Isn't that good news? The Holy Spirit that was active in Prisca and Aquila and Phoebe and Erebus, whatever his name is, is still at work in you and I and can able able us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Listen to this. Our mission is massive, but our God is mighty. Our mission is massive, but our God is mighty. And we need to just acknowledge the fact we need God and we need each other. There's no way we can do what he is calling us to do without his spirit empowerment, without the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. We're not playing basketball, we're we're playing the mission of God. The greatest cause, the greatest purpose in the world, the God of the universe invites us to participate in it and he gives us all the tools that we need in one another and in his Holy Spirit to take the church further. Oh, church, what a privilege it is to be called by God to participate in his mission in the world. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He could do it with or without us. And yet in his great sovereign wisdom, he says, come on in and be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And I will give you all the power that you need. I know it's above your pay grade, but it's never above mine. I ain't never met a thing that I can't do. And God will empower his people to do just that. Huh. acknowledging and even embracing our own dependency and neediness may not feel very satisfying in God's economy the way up is always down you know you don't go to some sort of seminar speaker and they say hey got the best news in the world for you you all stink you can't do it be warmed, be filled, be gone. I mean, it it wouldn't sell many places out, right? And yet that's exactly what Christ is calling us to in one sense. Hey, you need me, you need one another, and in your own strength, you can't do it yet, yet. If you will acknowledge your neediness, then you will experience God's power. Paul learned that lesson himself, right? Famously over in the book of 2 Corinthians, here is what he says. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected. What's it say? My power is perfected in? One more time. My power is perfected in? That is when we acknowledge our weakness, our neediness, our dependency, it is then and only then that we experience the power of God. The Lord is not drawn to our demonstrations of strength, but to our declaration of weakness. That is what pleases the Lord and draws his gaze when we declare, Lord, I need you. I can't. So my question really this morning is, are you needy enough? Not are you awesome, not are you independent, are you dependent enough? Not are you strong, are you weak enough to acknowledge that you need the grace of God on, our, on your life? The way that we experience his exaltation is we get low. We get low. We don't need to puff ourselves up, we need to bring ourselves down. If it's good enough for Christ, it should be good enough for us, who though he was God of gods himself, the Bible says he made himself what? Nothing. And embraced the mantle of a servant. And what did God do? Therefore, it's attached to it, God has highly exalted him. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and then he will lift you up. Our way up is down, folks. We need to acknowledge our neediness and dependence before the Lord. Say, what, what does it look like, Ryan, then to live dependently? What does this look like in my life? Let me give you just two practical applications. I think the first thing that we need to do to really live in this dependence before the Lord is I would say this, pray hard. What do you mean by that? I think one of the greatest ways to kind of reorient ourselves with reality is to just begin to say, God, I need to talk to you. I need to confess my need before you. You know, sometimes you read in the scripture about people taking various postures when they pray. One of those postures is kneeling, right? One of those postures is open hands or empty hands. And I think what we're trying to do by these movements is to demonstrate in our bodies what needs to be the cry of our hearts. Lord, I'm low, I'm needy, I'm empty, I'm broken. I need you. I don't wanna miss this moment right now this morning. So rather than just saying, hey, go home and pray about it sometimes, I wanna right now in this moment, I want us to pray begin to confess our need for the Lord. Lord, I need you because, man, my relationships are a mess. Lord, I need you because there's a habit in my life that I just feel like I can't break. Lord, I need you because I'm Selfish, Lord, I need you because life is difficult. Lord, I ha- need you because my health is failing. Lord, I need you. Lord knows it already. Let's begin to cry out to him and ask him for that. So here's what I wanna encourage us to do right now in this moment. Isaiah is gonna continue to play quietly. I wanna encourage you if you feel comfortable, would you grab a person or two around you and just maybe begin a time of prayer like this. Lord, I need you. Talk to God about that. Talk to your brothers and sisters about that. But let's reorient ourselves. We're all needy, right? Let's just acknowledge it. Let's not pretend we aren't. Lord, I need you. Let's talk to the Lord and talk to one another about that. Just take a couple minutes here in prayer. Father, we pause right now and we just confess we're needy. Lord, help us not to deny our humanity. But to acknowledge we are dependent by design and our neediness is not necessarily a symptom of our brokenness but it is a symptom of the fact that we are created to depend on the creator and on one another lord we need you let that be the confession of our hearts in jesus name amen i said one application is pray hard the second one is work hard. Now, that may seem a little bit counterintuitive based on what I said, but when you look at the text, it appears several times. Verse six, greet Mary who has worked very hard for you. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa who have worked very hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, verse 12, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Do you notice a theme there? In other words, the call to dependence on God is not a call away from exertion. Sometimes we get this notion that the Christian life is a call to passivity. But it's not. It's a call to minister in the strength that God will provide. I want the testimony, if somebody were to write about me, I want the testimony of my life to be he worked very hard for the Lord. Don't you want that to be true of you? Not that they sat on the bench, not that they were a spectator, not that they took it easy, but they worked very hard for the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we should be out of balance or unhealthy in any way, but we need to make sure that our testimony of serving and giving and laying down our lives for the brother is one where we are working with effort. Paul didn't have any problem with this himself. In fact, I love his cheeky little comment over in Philippians. He says this, I worked harder than all of them. He's talking about the other apostles, by the way. I worked harder than all of them. This is not a lie. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's like, this is true. And yet on the back end, he says, yet not I, but what? But the grace of God working in me and through me. You know why Paul was able to work so hard? Because he knew God would give him the strength that he needed to do all that God had called him to do. Now, sometimes we're really hard on Peter. You know, the story of of, uh, walking on the water. I mean, we we get a little rough on the brother because he didn't last very long. But here's the thing, only Peter got out of the boat. Only Peter swung his leg over and stepped out on the water. And you know what happened in that moment? Peter felt the water turn to concrete underneath him. And you know who else didn't? All the other disciples who were still sitting there. So for a moment, Peter experienced the power of God. And I can imagine old man Peter saying, yeah, it went long. I took my eyes off Jesus, but for a minute y'all, I was walking on the water. I stepped out of the boat in faith and I did what I could not do because the power of Christ was at work in and through me. Can I be kind but straightforward here? Sometimes we never experience the power of Christ because we never get out of the boat. Sometimes we play it so safe We take so little risk for the kingdom and for God. We serve so little that we never feel that water get firm under our feet. Oh man, we're gonna fail. You're gonna fall just like Peter did. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first, y'all. You're gonna mess up. You're gonna struggle. But can I urge all of us, get out of the boat. Work hard, trust hard and feel God meeting you as you serve God's church and God's mission and God's people to see the gospel go further. Don't you want that? If you're a follower of Jesus, you wanna see the mission of God go forward and it doesn't happen if we don't get out of the boat. We never experience God's power if we don't trust him in faith. That is my longing for you. So here's my simple question. Are you working hard for the kingdom? It's not a guilt trip, but I do want you to talk to the Lord about that. Are you working hard for the kingdom? Don't stretch yourself unhealthy. Don't be a bad husband or a bad wife or a bad father or mother or grandmother or whatever the role God has for you playing. But are you working hard for the kingdom of God so that in this list, your name would be said, oh, and that Corey, that girl worked hard for the kingdom. Oh, that AJ. Man, he risked his life for the kingdom. Would to God that that would be the epitaph that God has written for our church as well. Amen. Hey, we're gonna close with a song that I think is very appropriate. It's called, Lord, I Need You. We're gonna sing this, and I want us to really be a prayer of our heart. I don't know what your particular need is, but right now there's gonna be some folks in the back that are ready to pray with you. God's speaking to you about something, and you would like some folks to pray with you or for you. They are available there, but let's stand as a declaration of our hearts. Let's sing, Lord, I need you. Father, we do need you. And may this song remind us of our deep need for you and for one another, that we would be people who depend fully on Christ. Help us to pray hard, help us to work hard. May we depend on Jesus, live a dependent life. In the precious name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Let's sing together.